Uh, good to see everyone here again, um, filling in a little bit as much as we can. The, uh, I do want to just give a special word of greeting to those at home. I think about um, many people have been able to kind of get back to work and, and, and reestablish routines, but some people have not. In the same ways, I think about um, uh, people who are single, who are still working remotely and just kind of living and, and isolated in their work and, and in home uh, on one end of the spectrum. Then on the other end of the spectrum, those with little kids and without the same uh, rhythms of uh, activity that they, they might be used to, and especially in the summertime, that there's a lot of challenges to that. And, and you at home, we love you, and we still pray for you, and we feel connected to you through uh, what we're doing and gathering online in this way. So just a special welcome to you um, at home and, and here, and it's just... Um, the, the, the journey continues, and you know each day and week that goes by, um, sometimes the weight of it increases as opposed to decreases. So we're all in very different places, but the Lord knows your heart. He knows what you're bringing to the table this morning. And I pray that he would have something for you as we look at his word. So let's pray. Father God, we, whatever the condition of our heart, you are good. And as Fernando prayed earlier, you are unchanging. And we praise you for that because uh, we need you, our, our ever holy, ever good, ever um, present God to teach us. And, and by your word, Lord, we pray that you would do so this morning. So please, we ask that you would be our teacher in this time. And I pray that you would make our hearts responsive to what you're showing us today. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we're taking a little journey through the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah this summer. And this is the story of a people who had been displaced from their land. They had been living in exile. And this is the story of their return and reestablishing their lives. They're talking about uh, returning and um, rebuilding and restoring their worship and their, um, their way of life with their God. And for us, these themes are, are good themes. You know, back in March, life changed uh, the way that we were doing life as we knew it really changed i don't think that's an overstatement and and now we're, we're thinking about uh, sort of that returning and, and rebuilding things and things have been lost and things have changed and we're we're trying to, to figure that out so thematically these stories will resonate with us as we as we look through them but on a bigger level, our whole faith story is a story of exile. It's about um, being separated from God in our sin. Every person separated from God in sin. But we return to God by faith. And he, he restores us through the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he rebuilds our life. He makes us new. So this uh, returning and rebuilding and restoring is really, it's an image of our faith story as well. Last week, we looked at the, the, uh, the story and the return of a leader named Zerubbabel, and he was the one who rebuilt the temple of God in Jerusalem, and he led that project. Today, this is now about 60 years later, and we've got another wave of exiles returning, and they're coming from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And so um, we're going to look at the, the leadership, the second wave coming under the leadership of a priest named Ezra. And we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at Ezra and what he did. Now, the exile, again, we, we did this last week, but uh, not everybody was, was with us last week. 
The exile is a part of the Bible that people may not understand, or you know, after the exile, it's, it's, it might be more obscure or less familiar to people. So the short version of the, of the Bible is this. God created a good world, and, and the first humans, Adam and Eve, and they sinned. And then the world is then under the curse of sin from that time on. But God is a good God and desires to restore people to himself and to restore a broken world. So, uh, so God makes a promise to a man named Abraham. And he said, through you and your descendants, the whole world will be blessed. So that's the whole nation of Israel, uh, Abraham's descendants. So, um, so God brings Abraham to a land that God showed him. But within a couple generations, Abraham's grandson and his family ends up uh, having to leave the land because there was a famine, and they end up in Egypt. And in Egypt, they, they were provided for briefly, but over time, they became oppressed and enslaved, and it was really bad, and the people called out to God. God uh, brought them up out of Egypt to a good land that God provided for them, and he gave them laws, various laws. He gave them various leaders, and he gave them this good land, and they were to live in it under the Lord's authority, but they did not follow the Lord. They were disobedient and they had violated the law and the things that God had commanded. And as a result of God's judgment against them, they are then, um, foreign nation comes in, conquers them, destroys their cities and destroys the temple. And they are sent to a foreign land to live in exile. And these stories that we're looking at are the, these accounts are when the people returning from exile back to that land to reestablish. And again, this is God's grace to bring them back and to forgive them and to restore them. So, th- so there was different waves of returning exiles. So this, this account actually is going to sound familiar to what we uh, looked at last week. We have a, a Persian king who gives permission to, uh, to a leader to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. Specifically, the king now is a king named Artaxerxes, and he gives permission to Ezra and anybody who wants to go with Ezra to go back to Jerusalem. Their task specifically was to uh, reestablish God's law as the law of that land. And the king gave them permission, and he gave them a ton of silver and gold to take with them on this journey. And Ezra sets out on the journey, and that that was described in what Larry read for us today. This is a very long journey they went on. This is, depending on the route they took, it could have been up to a thousand miles. Took them four months to make this journey. And it's four months traveling through dangerous places with a lot of gold. So not not the safest journey in the ancient world. But Ezra 8.31 says this. It says, on the twelfth day, of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us. And he protected us from our enemies and bandits along the way. So they made it, and they made it safely. Now, we see this phrase kind of jumped out at me. The hand of our God was on us. And as you were listening to Larry read, three times, the hand of our God was on us, or the gracious hand of the Lord our God was upon us. And in these two chapters, six times, Ezra, this, this phrase is used, the hand of God was on us. And we think about God's hand. Now, God doesn't have hands. God is spirit. But as a symbol, God's hand is a symbol of God's action. It can be a symbol of God's blessing that God gives 
with his hand. God's hand can also be a symbol of judgment. You know, the, the hand of God could be against a person or a group of people. You wouldn't want that. Um, but God's hand can give, God's hand can cover and protect. Scripture describes that God's hand can lift people up. So this notion of God's hand is a, a powerful notion, and we're going to look at that today. And here, it was the hand of God that protected them from enemies and bandits and, and along the way. Um, and because God's hand was on them, they were able to arrive safely. How was it that Ezra knew so confidently that God's hand was on him? That he was so aware of God's hand of blessing and protection. And how did he recognize it? Because if we think about our lives, I think about the hand of God in my life, it's usually way after the fact that I realize, oh, God's hand was in that when we made that decision. God's hand was in that in that relationship in my life or this opportunity in my life. And you look back and say, oh, that was God's hand. But we want God's hand in our life and we want to know it and experience it and to be in line with what God is doing in our lives to guide us and to protect us and to, um, and to that end. So how do we grow in our awareness of that? How can we be in tune to God's hand in our in our lives, I want to think about that this morning, because I think we want more of it. We, I want God to protect me. I want God to guide me. Warning, though. So I like to give little. This is my new thing. I like to give warnings as I, I preach. The warning today is that you cannot force God's hand in your life. You cannot control the hand of God in your life. At the end of the day, the reason that God's hand was on Ezra. And that Ezra was able to travel with these people this great distance with all this stuff and they didn't get robbed. And the reason that God moved in the heart of the king to let them go and give them permission was because God wanted to. It was God's good pleasure. There, there is nothing that they could have done nor nothing we could do today to earn God's hand in our lives. At the same time, however, I believe that because God is a good God, because God desires to guide us, his people, that we can grow in our awareness of God's hand. We can um, do things that help us to foster our connection to God because God doesn't just use his hand to move us like puppets. We certainly don't experience it that way. But God wants to be in relationship with us as people and to grow in this. And I do believe that as we look at Ezra's story, we can learn ways that we can grow and, and foster this type of relationship with God. So take a look at Ezra chapter 7. This is what... This is what Ezra did. Now, the warning is you can, there's no formula to sort of get God's hand, but this is Ezra's way of life. <clears throat> Chapter 7. It says, The gracious hand of his God was on him. That's that same phrase again, the hand of God. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to, its teaching, and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. So Ezra devoted himself to these three things. And he, he did devoted, literally set his heart towards these three things. And as we set our hearts on these same things, we can foster that awareness and understanding of God's hand in our lives. First thing is he devoted himself to the study of the law. His mind, Ezra's mind, was so full of God's law, God's word. And he, it became the grounding point and the foundation of his life. So Ezra, in chapter 7, it says that, a man, that Ezra was a man learned in matters concerning the commands and the decrees of the Lord of Israel. 
You see, one of the problems they had in Israel was that they, there were seasons where they completely ignored God's law. They ignored his word. They, even, they literally lost it at one point. So these people had put, these, put the scrolls away, and one day they're cleaning out the temple, and they find them. They say, oh, what's this? Oh, we have a law. There's a God, and his, we are not following his law. They, they literally lost it and found it. That's how bad it was. That's what led to the exile in the first place. Um, it, it, the, and the reminder for us in this is that it's easy to have God's word, the Bible, and to lose it, to put it aside, to, not, to, to say you believe it, but not to actually let it, um, to, to meditate on it and to let it form us and change us and shape us. Last fall, we did a whole sermon series, I Love the Bible, that I Heart the Bible, because we are a people of the word. And we want to understand it and ground our lives and have the foundation of our lives be God's word. Um, but we realize that we live in a world that more and more people do not know the Bible. They don't know what it says. They've never read it. They've never considered the claims of Jesus Christ and, and his followers and uh, of, of the Old Testament. There's just a, a, um, there was probably a day in our nation where people were just more uh, culturally aware of these things, but that day is gone. We meet people who've never read the Bible, and they'll, and they'll um, reject it. They'll say, well, it's full of contradictions, or it's um, you know, confusing. And, and yeah, and the Bible can be a confusing book, because it's written over such a long period of time by all these different authors. But it's, we understand how it's cohesive and how it fits together. But that um, takes time to learn. Uh, the Bible's also historically been misused by people, by Christians, to misuse it, to oppress other people, and to hold people down, and to do terrible things. That doesn't help us. But most people who reject the Bible and say, yeah, that's just, just not true, they've never read it. Um, the, the reason that's problematic is because we also live in a world where, where people actually do have strong moral convictions. People feel very strongly about, uh, about their convictions, but they're untethered to any kind of system. It's, it's an untethered morality. Um, for example, people are passionately, um, the, people feel passionately strong about, uh, the, about equality and the dignity of, of human life. The question is, on what grounds? On what grounds do you believe people are equal? Now, I believe because uh, Scripture shows that all human life is created in the image of God, and all human life is sacred. I believe from conception till death that human life is sacred. But I believe that because God has made it that way. People believe that violence is wrong. And I agree, violence is wrong. But on what grounds? Every other species on this planet is just a, it's, it's just a food chain of violence and killing and eating one another. We don't do that because we believe that's wrong. Why do we believe that's wrong? I believe it's wrong for the same reason, because of the dignity of human life. That, we, that, we are, that God has created us to be moral beings and that we follow his law to not murder and to not act in violence and to love our neighbor it's grounded, but without any kind of grounding, it's just a really nice idea. But where does it come from? And you might say, well, that's great. Everybody can just have their own morality and doesn't have to be tied to any religious code or system. You say, well, 
Is that really? Because if it's not tied to anything, it could very easily change. You could just decide that um, it is okay to be violent, or it is so that human life, certain, some lives don't have value or dignity, and it's just untethered. We need that grounding and that the, the rooting in God's word. And Ezra devoted himself to the law. He devoted himself to God's word, and we need that. How do we do it? Next step for you, if you feel like, you know what, I'm not sure that I, I totally am grounded in Scripture. We believe that small groups are perhaps the best environment to be with other people, to explore and to meditate and to, uh, to, to understand God's Word. And there's groups that are meeting throughout the summer, many of them meeting online, most of them. Um, it, it, that is a really good place. So, you know, I know my group just this week, we, we came across a passage that was very disturbing it was actually hard for us to grasp uh, the, what we believe about God and what we saw in this passage. It was very difficult, but we were able to work together and, and, and think through that and pray through that together. Um, so I'm not saying that the Bible is an easy book. I'm saying that we need to be people who understand it and ground ourselves in it. Now, if, 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 if you can't connect with a small group or that's not the thing for you right now, that's fine. I encourage you to contact me somehow, and I'd love to help you get started exploring scriptures. Um, but be in touch. So Ezra devoted himself first to the study of the law. Secondly, Ezra devoted himself to the observance of the law. So not only did he know it, not only was he a student of it, but he actually lived it out in his life. And, and we think about the words of Jesus. Jesus said, he who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on a solid rock. And the storms came and it stood firm. But the person who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like somebody who built a house on sand and a storm came and just wiped it out. See, it's not about hearing and understanding my word. It's about living it out. And uh, look how Ezra did this. This is, this is amazing. Ezra 8.21 says this. It says, There by the Ahava Canal I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask him for a safe journey uh, for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from our enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. You know, it's really easy to say you believe something and then live in such a way as if, if um, you didn't believe it. So you can say you trust God with things and then just go about your life as if, well, it's actually, a, you know, it's in God's hands and then I'm going to live as if it's in my hands. Um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God with uh, this situation, but I'm going to live in such a way that I'm just going to, like, I'm controlling it and working so hard to fix it. You know, Ezra said, we told this king that God's hand was on us and we're going to pray and we're going to trust God and we're not going to take, it's going to look different the way I live now. And we're going to travel without this protection. Now, I would say, Ezra, you've got a lot of gold and you've got a bunch of priests and why don't you take some soldiers with you? Now, trust God and take the soldiers. Do them both. Uh, but for Ezra, it was very important that he demonstrate to this king and that he demonstrate to the people with him that they were genuinely trusting God. And so 
they go without for these soldiers or horsemen. And, but look at the role of prayer and fasting in this. Not just giving lip service to God, but saying, you know, we're going to do this. And we're going to, if we're going to trust God, it's not about us amassing an army. It's going to be about us getting on our knees and praying and seeking God together. What did they pray for? They prayed for their own safety. Right now, I mean, this is a big prayer of, of people that, that God would indeed give people safety with their health and with their, with their lives. They prayed for their children. Oh, people of faith, I know your hearts for your children, those of you who have children. The prayer that now you could say, I trust God with my children and then just control their lives. Or we can genuinely pray. And I, I've heard your prayers for your children, especially children who don't know the Lord or who are wandering or who are lost and making bad decisions. Adult children, children who are um, struggling with addictions, struggling with bad decisions and uh, unhealthy relationships, all these things. And we pour out our hearts to God for our children. And they prayed for their possessions. God pr- provide and protect. And God did. But there's a big difference between saying that you trust God in these things and actually trusting him. Uh, practicing, you know, it wasn't just the knowledge of the law. It was the obedience to it. Practicing what you pe- preach. Hypocrisy is a huge issue. People will criticize Christians and people of faith in general, but Christians in particular, for hypocrisy. And some of that criticism is fair. That we haven't been a people who always you know, live out what we teach. We, we need to be a people who take obedience seriously. Now, of course, we always remember that God does not accept us because we are righteous. We actually, we actually present ourselves to God as unrighteous in need of salvation. And it's only by his grace. And we need to present ourselves to the world not as self-righteous, but as people who have received the grace of God. And therefore, we need to be people full of grace to others into our world. Agents of the grace. Not cheap grace, but costly. Jesus died on the cross for it to bring it to us. Grace. But perhaps God puts on your heart, maybe there is an area of obedience in your life that you know that there may be an inconsistency between what you believe and how we live. And perhaps God is calling you to take a step today. Ezra devoted himself to the study of the law and to the observance of the law. And thirdly, uh, lastly, he devoted himself to the teaching of its decrees and laws in Israel. He was teaching others. He was devoted to that. Um, And next week, we're going to take a look at what what did Ezra actually teach? How did he actually confront the people of of his day? Because that'll be interesting. But he had a specific role as a priest in the Old Testament. That the priest not only did the priestly duties, but... Uh, in the, in the, with the sacrifices and, and in their worship. But the, the priests had a teaching job to teach the people of the land God's law. And so, uh, so Ezra was committed to that. But what about today? Who are the priests today? In the book of Revelation, chapter 1 puts it like this. Jesus has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. So does that mean that we are all supposed to be teachers? Now, I believe that some people are specifically gifted or called to teach and to preach as Christians. But if we are all a nation of priests, 
that there is a responsibility for all of us to proclaim and to teach the good news of Jesus to others. We all have that. Now, some would say, well, I don't know, I wouldn't know what to teach someone else. I don't know, um, I don't feel confident enough in my knowledge of things that, um, to, to share it with someone else. And I would say to that, I'd say, well, I think we kind of complicate it. There was a man um, that Jesus interacted with. He, was a, he had been born blind his whole life. So we assume he's illiterate, probably you know, not educated. He was an outcast because he was um, crippled in this way with his blindness. And Jesus healed him. And this man went up against a group of religious scholars, the elite of their day, and you know, super educated. And he totally confounded them. He said, you know, I was blind, but now I see. And the leaders like, how could it possibly be, you know, that this man is, uh, the man who healed you is from the devil, and, and he violated the law to heal you, and how, you know, how can this be? We know God doesn't listen to sinners. And, and this blind man said, well, let me say it again. Here's my story. I once was blind, but now I see. And I believe that everybody in this room and and everybody listening online, that if you have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, you have a story that's worth sharing and teaching to someone else. And you don't have to complicate it. It's like, yeah, I was lost in my sin and Jesus found me. And I put my faith in him. I was was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. That's your story. That's a good story. This no-name blind guy becomes a Bible hero. For confounding the scholars. We all have something, something to share. And other people need it. Um, and, and it's our opportunity. It's our joy then to teach others. Uh, Jesus, right from the beginning, when he called his disciples, he let them know. He, he said, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're not going to fish for, for fish anymore. You're going to fish for people. That part of following me is that you're going to have a role to play in this mission. And for, that's for every follower of Jesus. That right from the, now, were they ready to start teaching right then in that moment? Well, not really, but they, they spent time with Jesus and they, they experienced what his kingdom was about. And then they had, a, you know, they had a story to tell. If you've experienced Jesus, you've got a story. And you're, you're on that path. Um, and, and really, it's about asking God, God, who in my everyday life, who am I going to see tomorrow that I could actually share your love with or your grace with or share my story with? Because we all have the opportunity. And and Ezra, as a leader, devoted himself to teaching others. And we can learn something from that. Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees in all Israel. So Ezra was a great leader. God's hand was on him and he had a successful journey uh, and used him powerfully. But at the end of the day, we are not followers of Ezra. We're not Ezraites. We are Christians. We follow Christ. We follow Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus who perfectly knew the will of God. Jesus perfectly knew the will of his Father. Jesus perfectly obeyed. And no one, not Ezra, not you, not me, nobody perfectly follows the law except Jesus. And God's hand was on Jesus. But it wasn't just God's hand of blessing. God's hand of wrath, God's punishment, went on Jesus on the cross. And he died for you and for me that we 
can be forgiven for the ways that we have fallen short of knowing his word and of obeying it and of not living out our mission. We, we, Jesus paid for that, the hand of God's wrath on the cross. But because of that, God's hand then can reach out and bring us into his family, that we are then sons and daughters of God, held tight by God's hand, and that his hand can be on us. So because of that, we devote ourselves to the study of God's word, to obedience to God's word, and to teaching it to our world that needs it so desperately. Let us pray. Father God, we, I just pray that you would impress on our hearts maybe one thing to take away from this, one action that you might bring to our hearts. I pray that you would guide us by your spirit and empower us, whether it's to engage your word in a new or deeper way, if it's, to, if it's an area of obedience that you've put on our minds and hearts as we've been listening, or if it's uh, an opportunity to share it, Lord, whatever that is, I pray that uh, your spirit would move in our hearts, that we might be empowered to, to go from this place and, and to grow and to live it out. And it may it be for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.